This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 548 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back for the fourth time, Jeff Nichols. Now, Jeff not only served in one of the most elite teams in the Naval Special Operations, but he is also one of the most revered strength and conditioning coaches in the tactical space. So we discuss a host of topics from TBIs to training a tactical athlete, his new nonprofit, mentoring, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Jeff Nichols. Enjoy. Well, Jeff, I want to start by saying thank you so much for the fourth time to come back on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Yeah, you're very welcome. So the last time that we did an interview was July of 2020. And one of the main reasons was, I mean, firstly, to kind of circle around with you anyway. But secondly, as we entered this pandemic, I wanted to bring the the most uh, what's the right word? Intelligent or knowledgeable wellness people, whether it was Joel Salatin on the food production side, whether it was you on the training side, um, to give people tools as we went through this. I had another, another episode every week to try and push as much knowledge out there as we could already see the kind of politicizing of this whole experience. So just to kind of as an icebreaker, I'd love to open the door. What has been your perspective of yeah, you know, the following fourteen months since we spoke last. Yeah, that's quite a quite a Pandora's box. Yes, because <laughs> we, I, I don't like to be front loaded with questions because I think that the uh, it, the only difference between that and now is like all I have to do is take a moment, deep deep breath, and honest like honest like honestly answer right. And so I don't like to front load questions, but <laughs> that would have been a nice one, but. uh this this one is it man it it's a moving target this you know we could label it as covid or whatever you want to call it like i know i think that here's the thing is something like this that is is a an environmental we'll call it environment it's it's a virus like it's it, it's it's a living sort of thing we'll call it that it, it's a moving target and and what we're seeing is we're getting an opportunity to address some things with humanity right health is the big one like this is, you know, do we, is, is this virus real? It exists. Yeah. Is it dangerous? It certainly, it seems to be very conclusively dangerous for certain demographics based on their lifestyle. Right. We, I, I, this, this is, this is where I have a real problem with certain things where we go anytime there's an issue of morality, 
right? We'll call whatever that means to you, something that's inherently driving force of you, like that's good. But anytime we go against that moral compass, we just, now we live in a society where, where it just immediately gets attached with, uh, with a medical sort of reasoning of why it's like, Oh, I'm like, cause me, like, for example, like, I've been labeled so many ways. I've been labeled, labeled as schizophrenic. I've been labeled as bipolar. I've been labeled as all these things. But at the end of the night, in an addict, right? I was an opioid addict and, and all these things, a sex addict. I've been labeled all of these things. But at the end of the day, it's a moral issue, right? And we've just, we've attached medical definitions to morality issues. But I think there's a biggest, big, first biggest issue is like, am I an addict? Mm, I have behavior issues, Right. My behavior, I made, I made these decisions to basically desensitize my insecurities. And so I did these things. I, I used alcohol, I used drugs, I used sex, I used these things. And, and instead of me taking ownership for my, of myself, things I really can control, the things I put in my mouth, kind of the air we breathe, right? The food, I mean, essentially. And then we go like, you know, it's environmental stuff, Right. And that's kind of what I mean in the big picture of this. I look at the big, big picture of this and I go, okay, uh, it's interesting how there's, there, is, there are sides being taken. When I only see really one thing, right, I just see an opportunity for organisms to take a better look at how they're treating themselves and others. And, and that's the problem I see with all this is like, at the end of the day, if you eat whatever, the, it's hard to even label this now because everything has got like a a fact checker sort of anomaly associated to it. It's like, okay, if you eat nutritious, well-rounded meals consisting of lean meats, whatever that means to you, pick, pick an animal. Okay. Uh, a variety of vegetables that are seasonal to that, to your region. Um, and you, you do your best to drink clean water, keep good personal hygiene and, and do something within your life that you might consider to be spiritual, whether it's go to church, pray, be agnostic, but be spiritual, whatever. Like there's something that there's something else we need to do for ourselves. People call it religion, call it faith, call it whatever. But it's like that's what an organism needs. If you give it for healthy water or clean water and healthy air, a good nutritious protein source that's based in animal, right? A very good dense vegetation of, of, of vegetables, of starch and non-starch human organisms live last a very long time and they can handle a tremendous amount of biological and extracurricular like sort of stress right getting hurt and healed and stuff like that but that's not what we're seeing we're seeing people getting sicker and sicker and sicker right whether or not there's a virus or a pandemic like let's let's take that issue out of it altogether right there is a problem there's an there's an underlying problem with human health and then we put this pandemic or a virus on top of it it exacerbates and it highlights these human issues but instead of us focusing on the things that we know will work right we know that eating right eating properly eating healthy however you want to give it a cliche term always helps in promoting a healthy organism proper sleep mitigating stress, lot drinking lots of water as opposed to sugar, sugar dense uh, liquids. Like all of those things are just like, aha, aha things. But all we're seeing is the opposite. We're getting free donuts for a vaccine card and all this silliness that, you know, 
without bringing in the conspiracy into it, I just go like, okay, we have got to take responsibility because that's what's going on is people are just passing. My dad would always say, just pass on the buck, just pass on the buck. No one really seems to want to look at themselves in the mirror and go, if, if I want to make changes in my life, it's got to start with the person that's looking back at me. And I, that's what I don't see. I just see all this anxiety and angst and people blaming everyone for their problems when it's like, man, I, I can't imagine me still being in a position in my life because I was there where I was blaming everybody for my problems. Like when I was an addict, of course, nothing was my fault. It was all my circumstance and everyone else's fault. No, it was my fault. Right. And when I when I changed from one behavior of using using pain meds and opioids is my my crutch. I, 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 I got rid of that habit. Well, what did I do? I took on sex as a habit. Right. It, and then and finally, I had to look myself in the mirror and go, well, I can't treat people like that if I want a healthy, happy lifestyle relationship. That's important to me. So I had to get I had to address that behavior. Right. And still admit like, man, maybe I'm predisposed to making bad decisions or is that just human nature? Right. Either way, what I look at is I look at people not taking responsibility and that that just drives me up a wall. Like because that what's the point? Right. If we if, if we can keep saying, well, hey, I'm bipolar. It's not my fault that I act out in public. Well, whose fault is it? And whose responsibility is to take that person that claims to be bipolar and can't control their anger and they take it into a public setting? Well, who's now responsible? Is it the police responsible? Is it the fire, the paramedics that show up to some person that isn't, isn't within their right mind, the paramedics are trying to calm this person down? Or is it the emergency room people that the police take them to to control? Like, whose responsibility is it? Well, at the end of the day, I look at it and go, well, we've just created this environment, this social environment, especially in Western culture. We're like, well, if you get in trouble, it's got to be someone else's fault, right? Let's blame it on your skin or your religion or your belief system. No, let's, let's look at your behavior first. And that's what I see. I see people completely living in an environment where it's basically a consequence-free world. Like there is seems to be no consequence for lying anymore. There seems to be no consequence really until you have to pay for it or whatever. Like, well, I can just eat like shit, sleep like shit and treat people like shit. And but I'm so curious as to why my body is failing me at 40. It's a complete lack of responsibility. And, it, and it's, you know, it's a really difficult thing to take to really take ownership of you. Like your own person, it's tough. I get it. Like your ego is constantly fighting you to 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 defy that idea, and then society builds up on it. Like like, oh, everyone's so different. You got to be unique. Like whether I want to be unique or not, I'm extraordinarily unique. Right? I don't have to have the world tell me like that I am unique, and I also don't feel like well, you know what? Maybe the world is telling me that I'm just like everyone else. Well, that all I know then is that the world doesn't know me if I'm just like everyone else. And I think that we, we, we've put such a premium on being so, so individual and so unique in every single way that nobody could possibly understand. And that's the most ridiculous thing. It's like I may not know what it's like to walk in the shoes of somebody that, that was raised or grew up to, to be confused about their gender. Like I have a ton of empathy for that. I do. 
I don't know what it's like to grow up to be a homosexual male in a, in a, in a Western culture that really frowned upon it and still does in so many regards. I don't know what that's like, but you do know what I do know it's like. I know what suffering is. I've put myself through really, I've done really bad things to myself and other people that's made me emotionally suffer. And I know that people, not not trying to use gays or straights, but as an example, like someone that might be torn between their potential gender. Like, I can only imagine how frightening that is. And I think it's ignorant for us to just pick sides on, on stuff that is, is inherently human. And, and our media does a really, really, really good job of perpetuating that fear of being unique when like, damn, like, like you remember this, James. Like the question I ask people all the time, I go, where were you at September, September 12th, that week after 9-11? Where were you at? And what sense did you get from the community of people you're around of how they cared for one another? Like, it's scary how after 9-11, I was in Alabama. I was in southern Alabama, deep Alabama, where racism is, I wouldn't say it's more prevalent. It just kind of has an unver- undertone of history there, right? And I, I, I'm i a Midwestern kid from Iowa, and I remember after September 11th, I remember being on campus and, like, it was visible, but it was you could feel the sense of unity just amongst people. Um and it was it's just it's it's heartbreaking to me that it took such such trauma to unite people. And that's where I'm looking at this going like, look at how much division is going on. Like at some point this has gotta we've gotta try and unite people with all this trauma instead of create more separateness. And and I, you know, I I'm not sure how to do that except for like our little niche that we do, but this is why I really believe in our young. Like I believe in our younger generation, not to be like, well, they're so stupid in generation X. Like, no, like the younger generation, we, we need their imagination to help us problem solve this nonsense because we're too locked in our personal belief systems and our life experiences to maybe think our way out of this with, with the imagination we have. We need some younger people to look at this with fresh eyes and go, well, this is how I would fix this problem because we really need that young imagination. Um, so it's a kind of a long winded sort of soliloquy on what I think is going on, but I'm going to stop trying to blame organizations because I don't think like the government or whatever has ever necessarily been totally set up to relieve all of our emotional and social stressors. Like granted, like I love, I love paying taxes for one reason to a point great roads, running water, electricity, all those things. But for, for us as a, as a country and as a community to think that we need to rely on our government for all of these things, that's a slippery slope, which there's no return. That's my thought on that, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for your perspective. And I think it's, it's something that I've struggled with this last year as well is to me, COVID was a mirror held up to all of us. And the focus became destroying the mirror, you know what I mean, rather than the, understanding the reflection. And, you know, with this whole division now, and, I, you know, I, I hate these labels, but just buy into them for a second. You're pro-vax, you're anti-vax. The common denominator is still underlying health. If you're pro-vax, you need a healthy immune system to have a healthy response to that vaccine if you choose to use it. If you're anti-vax, you need a healthy immune system to have a healthy response to the COVID virus if you get it. So... The fact that 
people have been divided to the point where ultimately they're all agreeing and yet they're ready to murder each other. It just blows my fucking mind. And and I, and I look at like this, right. And this is something that my better half is try to help me go through this is like my mother is a perfect example. Not so much in the vaccine side, we could go down that road, but look at like my mom was raised away. My mom was, was her entire life. She did what she was told to do and everything. And she just, that's the life that she had. Like every job she did, she, she did her best and she followed the rules. Went to school, follow the rules. Everything was follow the rules. And quite frankly, my mom's had quite an amazing, good, blessed life by following the rules and listening to the government and doing what's best. Um, and then I say, okay, well, you know, you bring up like, why did you take this? What was your decisioning point to, to take, take the vaccine? And for her point, it was just simply, well, that's what you do. She lived through the polio side and like, oh, save lives. Got it. Oop. Do what you're told. Get the vaccine. Listen to the government. Everything we write. Which in certain circumstances, I get it. I get how that works. I get how that works. But it, I've never been that way. I've never been one to go, well, wait a minute. Like, what's this for? Like, where's the efficacy? Where's the – now I go look at it and go, well, granted, my mom – her, her, her life choices made her basically be a cook or a chef her entire life. My life choices took me down an area of interest of physiology and science and kind of questioning hypothesis and wondering. And uh, granted, so I have, I have a lot more life experience on questioning authority and it's worked out pretty good for me. So it's hard for me to take the shoes of somebody that isn't willing to, to read even like, and I said, okay, well, what, what research did you read? Like, what did you read? Well, from, from, did you read the Johnson Johnson research? Did you read the Moderna? Did you read the Pfizer? And like, well, no, none of it. Like, well, yeah, but why not? Like, well, just listen. Like, just did what the TV said. And I'm like, but this isn't polio. Like, I, ha- I have other questions, you know? It's like I never just do something. And so that, that's what I have a real hard time reconciling is people not, not questioning it in the stance of defiance. Like I'm not anti-vax at all. I, I am. I am. I am anti-censorship. Um, I am. I am anti-lacking reasoning, um, and I am all for science that supports itself not by self-reporting, <laughs> but I rely on science that is third-party tested from an unbiased point of view to give wisdom and. We have so many examples in the medical world, in the science world, in the sport, in the military, all these technical, tangible things that show the credibility of how do we test something like this? What population do we use? How many do we need? Like all these levels of compliance, we have all this data available to us that is literally being censored and denied because it doesn't fit the narrative. That for me, that for me is really, really, really off-putting is like, I am, man, I am so for the vaccine, any vaccine that provides what the intent of a vaccine is meant to do. Like, that's what I want to look at. Go, well, well what's the intention of this, this product? Well, here's the intention listed out by the pharmaceutical company. Is it meeting these requirements? And in every single case, it's been no from the standpoint of my decision not 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 to go against it, but like I'm still 
waiting for something that has the medical background in it that I know how to read and kind of decipher because nothing in my opinion has been presented to that case. Um, and maybe I, I grew up reading medical journals essentially. So yeah, I have some life experiences and I go, well, it's not fitting. And like all the experts that I look up to that are explaining the ethical narrative on both sides, they're being sensed, being sent, uh, censored. And then I look back at my world of history and learning and thinks, and I go, well, what's the very first thing that you do if you want to perpetuate fear is you demonize the intellectuals. The very first thing you do. And after you demonize the intellectuals, what you do is you attack the population that can basically stand up for that without, without a voice. What is that? The police and military is the first people that you undermine because they're the, they're the point of enforcement. And that's what's going on now. You're undermining the authority and integrity of our law enforcement. Well, now when, some, when that organization is asked to enforce anything, they immediately have taken the label of bad guy. You created more fear within the, perpetu with, within the idea of enforcement that is basically a code of, of what our country is. Like we need to enforce legal things so we can feel safe in the context of our country. Not is being undermined right now. It's continually being undermined. And I like, I'm going like, wait a minute, am I the only one watching this? But then I realized that information is being disseminated is really dramatically being censored. Um, now that to me is, is a little bit weird, you know, like I, I have my opinions about all that, but that, that, you know, we'll save the, the sort of controversial stuff or something in the future. But that's my big picture thought. I just, most people can handle a really good conversation, even if it's truthful, especially if it's truthful, and it might not have the information they want. But if they're being given thorough, honest information, good or bad, people will tend to band together and collectively make really good, healthy decisions for, for the community. And that's not being allowed in a lot of places, it seems. Yeah. yeah well, I think one of the first censorships that I saw, which is probably around the time we had the last conversation, was the complete suppression of the fact that most people that were dying from COVID had um, pre-existing medical conditions. Obesity was a huge element. I'm sure, you know, smoking was another element. And even to this day, studies have come out now. I just was uh, reading the um, British Medical Journal, which is one of the most revered out there. And it was saying that I think if you, you know, the nations that have like 50% uh, obesity or overweight in their nation or above are 10 times more likely to, you know, for death rate than they are normally. So you have these glaring obvious things. And if it's about health, then that is the first thing you address. And, you know, back when we talked, I've, I've said since, if they had just said, I want you to assume you are going to get the virus. That would have empowered, and again, like you said, there's ownership as well, but it would create an environment of education and inspiration to get people out there, to get looking at their sleep and their, their diet and their sunlight and their community and forge resilience. But if we talk about censorship, I think the censorship of common sense health information was the most censored part of uh, completely. Yeah. Yeah, and like I always thought, like the biggest problem will be will be to come, and as soon as they go after the kids, and that just happened, right? So, got an approval for age five to eleven without anything that's even remotely ethical. 
Um, cause again, that's, here's the thing is like, most people don't even know how like a pharmaceutical company gets approval, right? It's really quite simple. It's a fucking amazingly simple, right? The pharmaceutical company makes the drug. They submit it for testing, whatever they, however they submit it for testing, right? They, they submit their findings to the CDC. They do. The pharmaceutical company submits their findings, not a third party, not anything. Not so it's like you're basically it's like being a teacher, essentially, um, or a student and, and getting the grades ahead of time. That's all it is. They're getting the grades ahead of time and then they can structure whatever report they want to suit their to suit their way. And it's like. That's a huge conflict of interest as far as I'm concerned, because that would never be OK. Like it'd be like, again, someone go, potentially going to jail and you picking your own your, your own um, jury. Like that, that's essentially what's going on. And I, I, you know, I, there's no way that I can ever make ethical sense of that. That's my point. Like there is no argument that anyone could ever make that you go, that's totally ethical. Or you're reporting your own findings. There's nothing about that. That's okay. That's what we're doing. Um, and so I don't know, man, I got, and this is where I have a real conundrum with like, what do we do? Like, cause I think, I think ultimately the next question is, is like, well, what, what's the solution? And I was like, well, the only solution is to tell the truth and that's not happening. And so, well, what can I control? I can control my narrative and my truth. Um, and then, you know, you, and this is, this is the time to be a real example um, of, 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 not just being good, but like doing good as well. Doing good and being good is, 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 is both super important. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, like, cause as a consumer, that's what we are. We're consuming this information, trying to decipher what's what. And at the end, it's, I'm still just baffled at how so many people are just falling in the line without questioning. But my only thought to that really is that, okay, well, the blessings that I have um, from a standpoint of like a family unit, like I, you know, my income is, is stable and it's, and I don't have, you know, I, I live, a, I live below my means and make a good, good living. And I know a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. And, and it's like they have way bigger concerns that they're dealing with than I do. You know, really fundamentally, I'll admit that. Like I live a super blessed life in some of those things. And so I just have to stop for a minute and realize that, man, I can't imagine being stressed out of how I'm going to pay the bills and put food on the table and what I'm going to do with my kids and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden this mandate for maxes and masks and vaccines comes through and you're like, well, I mean – yeah, like everyone else seems to be doing it. Just get it done. It's free. All these things. You just you kind of fall in line because really it's a pretty low concern on their, theirs. You know, they really are. And, and, I, and, and those are the folks, th those type of individuals, those type of scenarios. You know, I don't have any anxiety or animosity to them. You know, what I have a problem with is people out there just just spitting nonsense and rumor and, and, and then just – a simple conversation with level-headed people just dismantles it, right? Because you realize, like, it's like it, 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 I use this as an example too. And lately, people ask, like, COVID is this become this take a side, take a position. You're against this, you're for this, whatever. It's very reminiscent of religion. 
right? Kind of. And and I and I kind of look at it and go, like, for me, it's like I was guilty of this for so many years of of, of con- being convinced that the Quran was this evil doctrine until I read it. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, this is this isn't what I this is what this isn't all what I was told it was going to be. First of all, and so that's what I mean about this is like everyone just does does does, but the moment you step out, even at first, and go, wait a minute, like let's just just for a, just to make sure that I can continue to hold my position of ignorance, I should probably step out of that position of ignorance and just kind of like check and see what the other side is saying. But no one's doing that. Like they're locked in their ignorance. I'm going to just stay ignorant and be ignorant and not question. And because that exposes you and people are so unwilling to expose themselves in order to find the truth because the world will label you as a liar and not, you know what? I totally had to change my mind because I looked deeper and now I've changed my mind. Well, you're a hypocrite. You're a liar. It's like, no, I've evolved. I've changed my mind because I sought more wisdom and knowledge. And people will not do that, man. They will fucking go to the grave as a Democrat or Republican or a veteran or a what? They will take their title to their grave, man. Like, like I'm all for like, I don't know, joining the military and becoming a chief, like whatever your rank or whatever. But it's like you get out of the military and you still want your children, your neighbors and everyone to call you by rank. Like I have a neighbor like that. Did 21 years in the Marine Corps and still wants to be called whatever, Master Sergeant. You're like, man, like I, I'm, my heart breaks for them because your entire identity is wrapped up in your fucking past. Oh, that's so – they're just suffering. Like I can't imagine. So I see these people that will go to their grave literally believing in a political system, for example, or a – an anti or pro-vax or a, a race or a, a religion that you're just like, this is ridiculous. You put all of your eggs in a basket that doesn't give a shit about you. Like, why don't you open your mind a little bit, you know? And I, and I'm, I'm preaching like this because this was me. Like I was the bigoted racist, like only Catholic, like all these, I, I'm a former Navy SEAL veteran. Like, Everything was identity driven. And I'm like, what a bunch of crap. And that's what I see. I turn the TV on. It's anti-vax this, pro-vax. Like, well, neither. Like, I'm not Democrat or Republican. Like, I think they're both fucking crazy. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) I think the pro-vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers are all fucking crazy. Like, where's the people in the middle going, you guys are both super crazy. I just, I just wanted facts, guys. Just someone, can somebody deliver me the facts? And no one's doing it. It's just, it is, man. It's like the Kardashians have taken over everything. It's just, and I, and I don't mean that even against them. I just mean it's just such such cannon fodder for the mind. And it's just get all lumped in together. And I'm like, you know, I don't even know what to think of it. You guys are all crazy. I'm just going to go hide in my house for the next year. <laughs> well, speaking of that, so, you know, you spoke very candidly about your mental health journey, your addiction journey. Um, the last time we spoke, you had you know, and crazy, excuse me, incredible results with ibogaine. The second time round, I remember you, you telling yeah. me the first mega dose that you had. Um, but um, this last year, I have seen be very challenging on a lot of people, even myself. Like I think the the altruist in me, the empath, 
was fucking heartbroken watching this happen to, you know, the, the Americans, the British, Australians, the Kiwis and everyone else around the world. It literally broke my heart watching. So with, you know, the, the journey that you've been on, what was that like for you mentally this last 12, 14 months since we spoke last? Yeah, like that's interesting. Like I've had, um, since we last spoke, I've had um, three more journeys. Yeah, three or four more. Um, various things, ketamine, DMT, and a few other. First, first ketamine one was, um, wait, I had a lot of DMT with it, which changed the scope of that experience. But, um, you know, I, throughout all of this, I, I couldn't agree more. Like it, my heart broke, turned to anger. Like I was just mad. Cause I was like, how are so many people getting duped by this silliness, you know? And then it's everything that we just covered. You know, I got to try to walk in other people's shoes for a minute, you know, but over the last year, it, <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, those, those sort of psychedelic experiences by themselves are pretty profound. And that you hear a lot about set and setting when it comes to taking a, a your, you know, when you're in, you're potentially going to do a journey of some sort. The two, two of the most important things to start thinking about are set and setting, like what environment are you choosing to do it in, and who are you surrounding yourself in that environment? Like basically, how how because you want to set that up for your favor, really. Um, and I, I'm I'm paraphrasing a ton, so man, this is this is like this is the barely even the cliff, cliff notes of it. Cause I, I'm a big believer in spiritual preparation. Like I, it psychedelic for me is not at all even remotely near anything that's would be remotely considered recreational. This is something I prepare myself for a lot of time to do weeks in advance and sometimes more. And then after the fact it's weeks and months of, of unpacking. It. And so that's the big, the big, big discovery throughout all of this is this really heartbreaking last year, year and a half has been the most perfect environment for me to find some things within me, like true, like find some humility, find some real compassion in people I'm going through this. Like that's been like, for me, it, it went from a lot of anger because I was heartbroken and that anger because of heartbreak has now started to kind of blossom a little bit more into compassion. And given the environment, kind of like I mentioned, the 9-11 piece, like there is this feeling, these senses, these, these deep-rooted, I'm talking heart feelings that we all have, whether it's anger about this stuff, heartbreak, it's whatever, all multitudes of feelings. I'm aware of it. I'm aware that I'm, I'm heartbroken and I'm angry and that stuff. Well, the way I look at it, and this is, comes from like side of Buddhism a little bit more, was like, let that be your teacher. Like right now, man, I'm heartbroken. So it's like, okay, I know if I don't take care of that heartbreak, it's going to turn into rage and anger. So instead, I, I, I try to reframe things differently now the best I can. And this is the, you know, it's a podcast or I talk to like-minded folks like yourself. And, and I think that that's, you already said it, like these people that feel like they're on the opposite ends, they're not. They're actually making the same argument for each other. And the only way to bridge that gap of conversation is, is compassion. And, 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 but you've got to have it for yourself, too, which sounds really 
really contrary, especially from the tactical population, like, hey, because it's always like take care of unit gear, team gear, and then take care of yourself. Like it really needs to be a reappropriation of the soul. Like, great, we're still going to take care of team gear and unit gear first, but I'm also at the same time going to take care of me, right? Because I understand that if I allow my heartbreak to turn to anger and rage, then I'm not teaching or helping anyone. I can't even have a good conversation because I'm just, I'm rageful. I'm, I'm, I'm one-sided in my belief system, at least the way it sounds when I'm, when I'm angry, when anger's got the best of me. And so now I look at it and go, well, why I'm getting angry? Why am I, why am I getting angry? It's like, well, because honestly, I'm, yeah, I'm pissed off. We'll call it what the government air quotes I'm doing. Like it's easy to kind of blame something, right? Like, I'm, well, but what am I really I'm not angry because they're assholes. They've always been assholes and they've always been greedy and they've always been these things that we're seeing. But now we're seeing this greed and this, this selfishness on a global scale and we're seeing it instantly. We're seeing it on our phones instantly. We're not having to wait weeks from a report from overseas to get through the AP to get in the New York Times that then gets disseminated because it's a big popular article from New York Times from the 80s, you know? Like you're getting instant, real-time suffering in video form with real people. And we're at a different level of exposure because, like, you know, you and I have experienced in our job of things that we considered, like, traumatic, people dying, dead bodies, things. And I go, oh, my God, I'm never going to expose to that. But now people actually are from a standpoint of what it's doing to their emotions. Yeah, I can go overseas, get in a firefight, and ex- have these experiences that then later on down the road they have to me created a very difficult transition, a lot of emotional struggle. Well, people are basically the last 18 months of their life they've been on a deployment in their own fucking house. You know, the amount of suffering that's been placed upon them unnecessarily is why I'm angry. You know, so it's like, okay, I don't need to put more anger into the world. I just need to step back and, and, and the, it, it sounds so very insignificant. You know, go, guys, here's my challenge to put people. Go your whole day without putting your bullshit on somebody else. Like if you're in a shit mood, don't go to the grocery store and put that on somebody. Don't like for me, when I'm in a shit mood, I got to not take it out of people on the road. Like I know that. Don't be an asshole behind the car, behind the wheel. It's like that's what I mean by behavior, guys. It's like – you. Just take a minute and put out some positivity because you're going to find that you're first got to redirect that positivity within yourself so it actually comes out as honest and authentic. That's the hardest thing for people to do right now is like wake up and go, oh, man, another fucking year of this. Are you kidding me? And that is hard. That's a hard, hard habit to break. But I found that for me, one of the best things I can do is at least I can reframe my moments I can go to the grocery store and be friendly. I can decide, give myself a little pep talk in my car before I drive out of the driveway. You know, it's like I can choose to, choose to be nice. And man, I, I tell you, like, if there's anything we need right now, it's just people just deciding to not put their crap on other people right now. Because right now, people got enough of their own shit to deal with. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree completely. And, you know, like I said, I felt it within myself. I, you know, hit a rock bottom a few weeks ago when I was traveling. Um, but uh, you mentioned about 
people identifying as their profession. And that's something that I've talked about in you know, other interviews and the transition out being so hard for some people. But I think that does apply globally right now. And you think about, you know, whether it's the firefighter or the SEAL or whether it's the gangster or the guy in Wall Street is our generation was kind of raised with this. And we think we talked about this before. We had kind of boys don't cry, you know, John Wayne bullshit. And you mentioned Buddhism. I think I got the analogy backwards before, but when you take the yin yang, to me, what made you become a seal, what made me become a firefighter was actually kindness and compassion. It was the soft. It was the yang, if I got that right. Um, but then when you're in there and you're training and you're in your flow state and you're in, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan or I'm making entry on a fire, we have to be in that the yin. We have to be in that kind of masculine flow state. But the problem is, I think that so many people, men and women, confuse that with a fucking white circle, all yin and no yang. And so then we lose compassion towards others. And as you said, we lose compassion towards ourselves. So we identify as the Marine. And then the next thing you're wearing top to toe, you know, Marine attire, your number plates Marine, you know, and you, you never allow yourself to be the human being that was both. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, and, it, and it, it, it's, it's addressing what we're trying to do. It's like, we need you using this case a Marine. We need those men and women to take on that role of that job so they can do that job objectively, concisely under duress. That's what, and then some big, um, big time cliff notes there, but we need that. We need to take that role. Like when you're a dad, you still have to be, you should be the right thing to do is to do play that role as a dad. But there are times when you don't need to play any roles right? You don't. And, and that's where a lot of times is like, we have a, such a hard time unpacking these stressors. We have such a hard time down regulating the stress because in order to do that, we have to at least allow ourselves to have some time and we have to allow our imagination to be, be in that time. Like we, you know, it, it's, which is why you find people with, with outlets that do very well in crisis, people that draw, play music, that write, that there are these things that take a creative mind to create, creation, woodworking, gardening. There's a lot of these things, and that's why there's a lot of these cliches around the samurai. It's not even a cliche. Look around the samurai world, right? You have blacksmiths, swordsmiths, tea, the tea ceremony, right? You have all of these trades that were not just considered a thing they did when they weren't to war. They were, they were, they were very um, almost revered positions within the community that gave them value when they weren't out in combat. Like, cause all if they, all they ever were was a samurai when they came back and they were a blacksmith, they'd always be like, well, fuck this blacksmith thing. Why isn't there a war? Right. And it's just to your point, we, we as people, are people before we're ever a title. And that that's the biggest thing that I've gotten from my psychedelic journeys is that is that I'm going to be the best Jeff Nichols as the society sees it, the best I can be in this role that is perceived of me and that I project. I project as a former Navy SEAL, exercise physiologist that's a dad and have a loving fiance and a great name. That's the role right I'm playing. But in the end, when at midnight at 730 at night, 
my son was well, not seven thirty. He's not asleep at seven. It's like <laughs> night, right? My fourteen-year-old son's asleep, right? My dog is asleep. My beautiful fiance is asleep next to me. My social media has been put away. Well, what role am I playing now? Like I'm not Navy SEAL dad. I, I mean, I kind of, but what am I? Just Jeff. Yeah. It's just, I'm just, I'm the being that was here before I took this body and will be here when I leave. Like, where am I going to go? You know, like that's the, and I look at it and I go, okay, like that is the point where I can root some empathy in other people. Cause I go, Hey man, like this, this mom, dad that I don't know in a, in a place and I don't know. I know that there are plenty of families that are struggling, put money on, put food on the table or clothes on their kids or, you know, like someone did stand up to like say, hey, no, I'm, I'm not going to take the vaccine. And now they're kind of out of a job for a bit potentially. It's like there's a lot of people out there that are having to sacrifice way more than me. And I have to recognize that because I have everything, man, like I do. I, I, I won the genetic lottery. I got everything I want. Ascension. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, this is not me bragging. This is me being truthful. This is like, I've got health. I've got people around me to love me. I've got a profession and a job that people respect me and care for me and look for my advice. And I have a position to express my opinion or my knowledge if I want it to be creative. I have everything. What more could I want? But I know that there's a lot of people that don't have that perspective and they're suffering and they're struggling. And I got to go, listen, on my way home from work, my life is great. Don't be the asshole that creates an accident or cuts somebody off that they get in an accident, that then they don't have the, the money sitting in the savings to get a new car, right? That person gets in an accident. They have to take time off work. That takes two days off of their, you know what I mean? It creates this, cat, this, this realistic chain of reaction that I have to be empathetic to. Now, I don't sit there and wonder and I just be like, it's simple. This is a simple thing. Just don't be an asshole, right? If, if someone is being, having a real hard time and is really freaking angry, really sad, and they're directing it towards you, it's likely not about you. <laughs> they're having a real bad time and you just happen to fall into their crosshairs. And I, and I think that that's, that's the big takeaway from here is yeah, we can sit here and complain about all this awfulness and, you know, now we have like people that are saying that there's like, what do they call it, toxic positivity and things like that. I got like, accused of that a few months ago. I'm like, what the fuck I, did you just say? Catherine, my better half, the very first week of this COVID thing, like 19 months ago, that's the very first comment she got was like, well, some of us don't have, you know, the energy to go out and garden. We're like, and then she went on to just berate Catherine about we were put to, we posted a picture of our garden. Like, <laughs> Maybe it was the same woman. <laughs> the amount of suffering. Think about that. Like that. Let's just think about that person for a minute. That's going to go out of their way to be upset at you for being trying to be positive for other people. The amount of suffering and self-loathing and self-hate. Imagine the self-talk of that person. I bet they just can't. There is nothing that happens in their life that is positive and everything is there. Someone else's fault and that damn dog and that stupid mailman and the fucking UPS guy is always late. And it's just their whole life is probably just a mess. So it's kind of like I can totally blow up and tell, try to put someone in their place or I can just sit back and go, 
I don't need to say a word because there's nothing I'm going to say that would even make that person's life even worse because they are in a real bad place. That was exactly like, my that was my tact exactly. I'm like I I've got nothing. We'll just move yeah, on. Swipe up. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like where I I don't really succeed at reframing it that successfully all the time. But that's the hope, right? Well, what's so good to hear, and you know, you're beaming away the other side of the camera here as well, which is beautiful to see because, you know, we our first conversation was a very, very different time in your life, you know, but the compassion and kindness, and here I am speaking to one of the most elite, you know, warriors on the planet, um, but that to me is the core, like I said, that sends people into the military, into the first responder, into the healing professions, um, but it's something that I've seen absent many administrations recently, and that is just it. People, I'll post... You know, videos, inspiring is the wrong word, just videos of kindness. And they're very, very popular because people want to see that. And it reminds people, no, most of us aren't shitbags. We're actually good people. A lot of us need to be nudged a little bit. Um, you know, as you said, a lot of us are hurting, which manifests in, in pain and hate and that kind of thing. But I just, I, I yearn for someone to stand up you know, in some sort of leadership position. And we don't need that, but it would be easier to create an environment of this to just say, look, go into your community and do something good. Go to your, check on your neighbor, check on your wife, check on your kids. You know, if you're a firefighter, try, not, try to take 30 minutes and decompress before you come home, whatever it is. But that kindness and compassion element is is missing in this whole equation. And if there's no greater time for that than this last 18 months when people have been so disconnected and as you said right now even though it seems like this thing is tailing off now we're seeing these mandates you know smashing families apart yet again yeah yeah it'll be interesting because like you know i kind of have a perception of how this thing might might play out you know in my own world my world like with my life experiences and my my family and how it might change things but you know i I'll say this is you already kind of hit it. Like, man, there's been times where I've been pretty much like, well, fuck it. Like, I don't even really want to keep training folks like this. Cause I'm going to just keep sending good people into the, into the morally corrupt pool of morally corrupt. Right. Like I, and I, I, and I, I am very outspoken against military leadership when they're, when they're poor. Um, not because I'm, I'm, I'm self-righteous, but because, I see the lie. I see the lie in it, you know, and I see it's impacting really good people. And it, to that point of good people is there are a lot of, you know, every civilian job has its multitude of morally sound individuals that work amongst them in grocery stores and plumbers and doctors and dentists and every, every walk of life in the civilian world. But I will say that people that have a real morally objective desire to do good, you typically find them wearing a uniform. You do. You find a higher percentage of people doing that. But it makes sense given the context of what a lot of them are being asked to do. So in that same to that same point, doing what we do for a living, Catherine and I, my better half, is is preparing we call like the freshman class doing our best to expose these young men and women that are extremely high um 
in, in moral character. Cause we spend like every waking moment with them basically for six weeks Not every like when they're in the, you know, a couple hours a day, like where they're attached to us, you know, four to six hours a day for six weeks while they're here. And we see these men try so hard, so, so hard. No one's paying them obviously to be there. No one's making them be there. They are trying so freaking hard. And in the end, why? Like why? They're just being compelled to do something, like serve in that capacity. Um, and that compulsion to serve, that good, that deep, deep, deep good that they all possess but can't define, can't explain. The same one that firefighters have, the same one that police have. They just you don't know why you need to go serve. You don't even know why you want to wear a uniform. You just know you need to. And that deep convulsion, it's if we can foster that individual's character in the process that the military does, typically does a pretty good job of it, more and, more and large, it allows that person to, to live a high moral, moral life. But if we can give them skills, better skills, better ways to eat, better ways to train, better ways to um, rationally, objectively um, – help them determine what's what's ethical what's not like give them a moral checklist even like question authority but not to question authority someone explain why we're doing this and i'm happy to do it type of mentality and you know i that's why i do this because i actually i still see all these guys coming through here that have high moral character and still want to serve and they may not be quite at the high, you know, at the, at the number that they once were at some point. I don't know how to measure that, but like it's a feeling you and I get from our service. Is there more guys or less guys? I think it's a different kind of guy or man or woman. It's different. It's the ones that are going in now not only have to possess those high moral characters, but they to create that that point of comfort, I think, and a surety that they did the right thing. They need to have they need to have some other skills going in, right? They need to have a higher aptitude of health, awareness of how to keep themselves healthy. They need to have an aptitude of how um, how to sleep better, right? These things that, man, like they're super super important, but they're not certainly not focused on because they just like, well, yeah, I gotta eat, so I'm gonna eat. Just eat anything. Like it's food. Food is food is food. No, it's not. Well, I don't, you know, I don't need I I do fine on five hours of sleep. Nobody on this planet does better off better at five hours of sleep than seven. It's not it's not biologically possible. So that all this rude these these badges of ignorance, like, oh, I eat shitty and blah, whatever. Like, oh, I'll just get medicine to put us. Like, oh, don't worry about it. When you get 40, you'll be like if I had a dollar for every time someone said, just wait until you're 40 and then things are going to fall apart. I'm like I'm, in, I'm 43. And like, no, you're not. You're in your thirties. Like don't let your lack of decision and your insecurities be your rationale to, to subjugate me to your, to your rationale. Don't do it. Like it's not going to work. And that's what society is doing. But these men that we're talking as men and women of high moral character, they're not making excuses. So it's our job. Like I consider you a veteran as well in that sense. It's like our veteran responsibilities 
are to truly, truly mentor these folks that want to go serve. Because I have been so guilty of doing something that's damn shameful. I'm not ashamed anymore. I've dealt with it, but it really is quite shameful. As I took this position of this angry, you know, angry veteran that's looking to be justified. And I'm like, man, like, that is like, the world doesn't need more fucking tattooed up, vocal, beard wearing team guys. We don't need that. We've already exhausted that, that, that assembly line. Okay. What we need is really morally objective human beings that want to go serve this world on a capacity that they can't quite understand, but they know that if they put the uniform on, that they have a chance to potentially help people. That is what we need. And as long as there are people that want to go put a uniform on, my ass will be there training and teaching them the best way I know how to give them the things that I didn't have. But I felt like, man, how, do, how is this community not offering me this piece of education? Like, why am I 11 years in the teams and just now someone's saying, hey, man, maybe you should sleep better. It took you 11 years for someone to finally tell me that. So, well, instead of waiting 11 years, let's tell them before they go in. And that is what our, our big mission statement is in, in our business and in our nonprofit. That's our, that's our mission statement is educate, educate, educate through compassion and a little bit of wisdom. That's what we're trying to do. Well, mentorship, I think, is just key for so much. I talk about this from the, the, the excuse me, the diversity element. You know, the, the successful mentorship programs I've seen. We have one here in the, in Ocala for the fire service. I mean, you, you just, you solve the men, the uh, diversity issue. You literally go into communities that are underserved and you find incredible candidates and you help raise them up. And then off they go, the fire service, men, women, black, you know, purple, orange, whatever. And, you know, you have this, this community that reflects the community that they serve. So Project Lyceum is, is the nonprofit that you guys have started. Talk to me about, you know, the kind of events leading up to that and then, you know, who you're helping and how you're helping. <clears throat> yeah, the, the events, <laughs> it, it's kind of within our own internal business. We, we initially, it's like we, we put out a really high product through training. Like, is that boastful? No, it's not. We're really good at what we do. We're thankful that we've been given the knowledge and education to, to share this with folks. But what we, what we have found, and I keep saying the freshmen, freshmen, it's like I was a strength coach in college. Um, for a number of years and, and I would had a really good mentorship by the strength coach that's still at Troy university and Richard Shaughnessy. And he'd say, you know, we can, we can focus all, focus all of our time on the seniors, but if they're not, they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. So let's at least spend our time as we gather, as these freshmen come in for the summer before they start their freshman year, essentially, let's teach them everything they're going to need to know so they can perform at the highest level when it's time for them to train, right? Let's teach the freshman class. And so I experienced that in the SEAL teams, right? Like kind of like when I was in the SEAL team five and going through the, the training, it was, it was pretty, it was, it was kind of taught at the lower echelon of, of ability because a lot of the new guys and it kind of sat weird with me. It's like, why aren't we coaching up? And then I got the command I went to afterward, went to dev group and it was a complete opposite. It was coach up, coach up, coach up, catch up, right? And then what I had experience over the years in teams was like, well, if you want these guys to be good, teach them early, be concise, be thorough, right? Don't make excuses. 
And that's what, that's kind of what we go off of, you know, and we, we, what we're finding is a lot of people want training, but, but to, to get good training, it, it, it's going to cost. Like when you're in the fire service or in the SEAL teams, or whatever, and you have to go to sniper school, it, it's a four month course. It costs the federal government a lot of money to tr- have you travel there to put you up, right. To teach there's, there's costs associated to it. So you pay what you, you, you get what you pay for. So what we started thinking is like, well, a lot of times the limiting factor for a lot of people is like, yeah, hey, the training is going to cost me $600 for that month. Okay. Well, that's usually not the issue. It's usually like, well, I, I don't have the gear, right? I, don't, I can't afford to get the shoes and the weight belt or whatever. But I also, I, I actually can't afford the per diem and the lodging when I go, right? And so, so what we're looking at is like, okay. Well, how is it that we help these people, give them the best basic, I say, give them the best starting blocks that they can have, right? And that's what the genesis of, of the nonprofit was, was like, man, like, there's there's bigger issue than people wanting to train. There's an affordability issue to it, and there's other things, you know, things of cost associated to it. But typically, people don't get that, you know, don't get training until they've already gotten there. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, like, I think there's, we've kind of missed the boat a little bit. You know, we didn't, we missed the freshman class. Okay. And so that's what we do is we, we, we stopped and asked ourselves like, what are things that they should or could learn before going in that isn't tactical, technical? Like if someone wants to teach shooting, great, go do it. That's not the lane we choose. What we choose to focus on is the, the human body, right? We can teach the body to move better, right? We can teach it to sleep better. We can teach it to consume better food and liquids, okay? And then we can really teach the body to handle the emotions, right? That we call it the maybe the spiritual side of it or the emotional side of it, whatever it may be. And we looked at it and go, those are the things that we can focus on. Plus, if someone happens to be like can't afford fins and running shoes and what gear that's needed to do those trainings given their line of service. And so we're like, well, why don't we just – my better half, Catherine, was like, well, why don't we just start a nonprofit to cover some of those costs that will get them to the starting blocks so we can train them. And so this was her brainchild to go, okay, well, Jeff, you, you've, got, you've got a presence on social media and you have a lot of people that keep coming to training and really the limiting factor is, is either time or money. And so we look at it and go like what Mitch Aguiar was doing with uh, Adopt-A-Cop BJJ. It's like, Fund it. Now, those are all active folks, but what's it really doing? It's giving them a skill that you could have taught them sooner than later for most would be great. But in this case, we can teach them during and it's not going to be contrary to to their tactical learning, we'll say. So that's what it is. You know, Project Lyceum was basically was uh, um, if, if, if forgive the, the paraphrasing, but Lyceum was was what Socrates created basically the same idea as like, or Aristotle, excuse me, was to come and learn in the same context, come here, learn these particular skills. And then you're going to go out and be, and then use those skills. And we know that there's a shortfall of, 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 of funding. And that's where the, where the, the idea came from was like, well, shoot, like that's what we do, but can we create a funding line to, to do this in different places? Like, Someone from California, they can't, maybe they can't come all the way out here. Awesome. But we can find a couple, there's numerous places where they can get one-on-one training 
is specifically can get them to help them into a selection process or into an academy, right? Because maybe they do need to drop some weight. They need to just get a handle on their eating, right? Maybe they – all these things that we can do before they get into service. And now you've created this habit of what got me there will keep me there. Hey, I got healthy. I can stay healthy. I got in shape. I can stay in shape. I learned how to manage some of my stressors now. And now when I get in, now I have ways to deal with stress. And it's like, we got to affect the freshman class with these things that they're not going to get. They're not going to get ways to train optimally. They're not going to get really good dietetic guidance. They're not going to get a way to unpack their demons before they even demons even show up, right? Real stress, like how do we deal with it through meditation and breath practices and, or whatever that individual responds the best to. That's the thing is we are in a position to assess these people physically. We're able to assess their diet. We pull their blood. We do all these things. Catherine, a better half, is – is, is managing and, and, and working through all their emotional, social, and spiritual stuff, like indi individual to these guys because everyone's got their own stuff. And these guys, it's really cool because when they come through, they get to finally be around a bunch of like-minded folks that they may have never been around. Like their family thinks they're crazy. Their friends think they're crazy for doing it. And they get around these guys. They're like, wait a minute. We're all kind of crazy together can totally do this and you see this really interesting sort of bond that comes from it you know not and that's also too a really great thing to get these people involved in these in these this training environment before because now you're emotionally equipping them to go oh wait a minute i'm, I'm this is going to help me become more successful in my initial endeavor of selection and that's what people always like oh do more push-ups but let's affect the mind not just the body and then, so that's a big part of this too, is getting these, getting, allowing these people to feel like, man, like all this work and effort is, is, is worth it, man. And now I have some guidance. Oh, like it's, it's a game changer. Well, I think it's, it's amazing. And, and obviously the physical preparation is huge, even, even down to a push-up. The number of people, again, our generation that were taught the completely wrong way to do a push-up. And it took me, I think I, I was finally shown the Ido Portal seminar or some gymnastic seminar. I was like, oh shit, I've been doing it the wrong way for, oh, what, 40 years now? <laughs> you know, but, but I love what you said about the emotional baggage. And it's something that I've talked about a lot. When I, you know, joined the numerous fire departments, because I ended up being a bit of a gypsy, over and over again, there was a polygraph, which, you know, I lied my way through after learning you know, the first time when I was honest. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I have to lie about all my stuff prior to service to get a job. Um, but then in the psych test, and it was a complete fucking waste of money, smoke and mirrors and checking boxes. And after, you know, 500 plus episodes now, seeing the incredibly... The, the frequency that childhood trauma has on people who seek the uniform professions... The impact of that on our mental health when we put the uniform on is so you know misunderstood and undervalued. So to give a potential you know tactical athlete whatever uniform they're going to wear the opportunity to actually start addressing their life up to that point, that that's the first time I've heard it in any sort of on ramp course. So I mean that's that's absolutely huge. Yeah, I mean honestly, James, 
not to like you who would be a great guest would be Catherine, right? So she's she's finished. There's only really one accredited meditation course in, in the Western culture, Western world. And it's the people that brought meditation over here, the uh, the Jack Cornfields, the uh, the Tara Brocks, the Ram Das. Those those are actually her teachers. Right? It took her a couple of years to get in the course. It's a two year course. She's going through it. I'm bringing this up because it's like. I've been through therapy for years. I went through therapy for years, and it was really valuable in its own right. And, 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 and I'm going to say this without, without almost sounding contradictory. The problem with therapy is that to a point – now, there's no problem with it. But the, an observation that I have with therapy to a point is like, well, at some point, I've got to still take ownership of my issues. And if I keep going in – like to a therapist, I'm like not really taking care of my issues. It's not that even the therapist's fault, really. That's it's this, this weird catch-22. And so the only place I've ever been actually able to like honestly look at my emotions in, in, in a real space was, it, was through guided meditation. There, there's something different about when you find somebody that knows how to do guided meditation it takes the word meditation and gives it an identity of what it really is, if that makes sense. Like there's a lot of talk about meditation and breath work and breath practices, and there's just so much sort of mechanical confusion about it. Like, how does this, is it working? What does it do? This, that, and the other. But when somebody really has that gift, like I, I do, I feel like I've been gifted the language of movement. Like I can see a human body move and help them correct it. She has a way about people, people that have that gift of, I guess, for lack of a better term, meditation and teaching it. She just has a gift way of like what we're just talking. Someone that has this particular life that may not have been particularly rosy creates a condition for their behavior when stress shows up in a weight room, in a pool, at a fire, on target. But be able to take that individual's soul, that being, that who they are, make them be aware of some of these things, but not and make them feel, have them allow them to be vulnerable enough to open up enough to be, how do I speak, to be, to be, to be cared for. There's a real gift for that, and, and Catherine's got it. Like she's got that gift where you can. The hardest thing to do is someone like me or you is to have them open up about who they really think they are or the mistakes they've made without feeling like we've been being judged by the person we're sharing that with, even if they're really close to us or even if they've been through some of the same stuff, like open up to your brothers about some of your experiences on target. There is this deep sense in, in many people that are like still like they're going to hold back on some of that emotion because it exposes a little bit more vulnerability than they care to have. And I'm only saying this because it's not going to make sense to a lot of people unless you've kind of been down that real, real road of suffering and you've opened up your mind or your body to be to prayer, to do some spiritual work, to do whatever it may be, right? Gardening and things that are associated having quiet time. But that's that's the big one. I always joke with people. I say when they show up to the course, I go like, "You guys all kind of came here to see me." I was like, "But in six weeks, is like you're when she's got her hands on you. In six weeks, you'll be a different person." And that's been the case. It's like 
we were at we were at the office today. The group was finishing up. They weren't finishing up talking to me. She had she had them, you know. So it's like that. That's what we're seeing now is people. Here's the thing. I have experienced the most violent people in the world, and I was one of them. But that's not a that is by no means like a pat on my back. It's to make this point. Those people that I saw to be the most violent human beings on the planet, truthfully, are the most compassionate, caring human beings I've ever met. At, to a point, like you, like I, I'm still working on me in that sense of trying to be truly, truly open to compassion for everyone. That's 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 part of my life struggle, um, and I'm okay with that. But I will tell you some of the most, like I said, the most violent people I've ever met are the most loving, caring people I've ever met to this point. Once they, once we all get our, get the static in between our ears quieted down and we realize where, who we are, you know? Um, and so that's what I want people to see. And that's what I want people to feel good, man. I can teach people how to train. I can do that all day. That's easy. But if I could gift somebody anything, it wouldn't be my physical ability. It would be my newer ability to understand that like, man, like life is really pretty fucking good. And there's a lot of good in this world. And if we can surround ourselves with people that are perpetuating a real positive narrative, man, life gets so much better. And and then one of the hard things to do is I had to do too, is like I, a lot of it was my fault, but I also surrounded myself with people that were allowing for my behavior. And we do, we surround ourselves with people that oftentimes just like us. And if we're not in a really great place, you know, that's another thing too, is have a good mentor, have, surround yourself with people who care about you. And if you can't do that, you got to look at yourself, man. If you can't surround yourself with people who care about you, it ain't anyone's fault but yours. And, and that's just not even to be harsh, but that's the truth of it. You know, like I, I don't want the friends that I used to have because they're all still doing probably the same stuff that I needed to get away from. And it's not a point of judgment. That's what I mean is like we all have to take care of ourselves. And it starts with, what environment are you putting yourself into? And then that what comes from that is the emotional environment that is created from it. And that's where therapy is great. But meditation for me has been and will always be that which allows me to not judge myself and others. And Catherine, she's as good as anyone I've ever, ever been around. Because all the teachers that she loved, she's exposed them to me. And now they're her actual teachers. So it's a, I get to live in it. You know, like all the, all the podcasts that I love to listen to, like she'll be on the Zoom call with the actual person. I'm like, that's Jack Cornfield. And like <laughs> actually talking live and I'm like, holy crap. So it's, for me, it's exciting that I get to live that. Like I, every day I'm reminded to be more like Buddha, I guess, or Christ or whoever. They're both awesome. Yeah, I think I think all those prophets had the same message: don't be a dick, basically. <laughs> yeah, because if, if 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 you could say, all right, if you were to find Jesus hypothetically, what books would he be reading? He'd be reading the Gita. 
he'd be reading Rumi's stuff from the, on the you know, like same thing of Buddha. He, Buddha would be reading the Old New Testament. Like, and I'm being silly here, but that's the truth, man. Like, they all, they're all awesome. They're amazing. And so, and so are all the people and people are amazing. We just, we're just used to being told we suck. And then we start perpetuating that same sort of internal dialogue. And that isn't true at all. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned the um, the meditation. I've dab- dabbled. I mean, that's the right word. I dabbled literally. But after I hit my little rock bottom, I really dove into Headspace specifically. That's just an app that works for me. You know? yeah. there's, there's no excuse. Like your phone is with you all the time. So shut the fuck up and do 10 minutes and then 15 minutes. But it was absolutely life-changing and in- excruciatingly uncomfortable for the first two weeks. So it worked perfectly there. Exactly, exactly. So like you said, as we said, with COVID being a mirror, I feel like meditation is a mirror for your emotional health. It is. And I, that, so it's so funny that everyone says this. And I said it too. It's like, here, here, here is how you know you need meditation. If you say, I can't fucking sit for two minutes. I can't do it. It's terrible. I can, the worst thing in the world is to be trapped in my own head. Your own thoughts for eternity. Like that's what everyone is like. That was me. Like every day, anyone that's listening to this, right? Before you went on this podcast and started listening to it, what, how much dialogue was running through it? Oh my God, I gotta, okay, like I gotta go to the grocery store. I gotta get my kids to this. I gotta, oh fuck, I, I, I'm dreading this phone call. Or, oh my God, I gotta call my mom. It's her birthday. All this dialogue in your head, right? And if it's been a shitty day, that dialogue is even, like louder and more negative. But if you could ever just take on a purpose, on purpose, take all that dialogue and just quiet it out, right? That is the hardest thing for people who need meditation to do is to meditate (laughs) or understand where do I start with meditation? My, you know, um, the calm app or the headspace app, either one are great places to go, right? If you, you know, if guys want to know more about it, like definitely hit up Catherine. Like her, 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 her Instagram page has a whole bunch of highlights on it and whatnot, but of books, good books to worth reading. But I, I think here's the deal is like, just if you are, it's just like you, it's like there, there was this probably moment where you're like, you've been here in the periphery for years, like meditation's good, meditation's good. And you finally did do it. You're like, yep, it did exactly. Like, this is terribly difficult. And then you endured it like anything else. And now you're like, man, that, that, that was really, really helpful given where I was at in my life. That's the scariest thing for people to do is go, you know what? You might be right. You might need meditation, air quotes, need. So what does that mean? Well, that means I got to stop thinking and I got to set time aside to do it. Oh, my God, that's frightening. You have to change your life to better your life or you have to change your life to change your life. Scary. Totally get it. Totally get it scary. But damn, I am so glad that I did it. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, it's a daily practice now. I mean, uh, once or twice, I might you know, miss it based on what the day has, but it's, it's pretty much in stone now. And it's interesting as well, because you mentioned about some of the most dangerous people. I love the, the, the phrase, walk softly, but carry a big stick. Because I think one element of being a kind and compassionate person in the world is having that element of being a protector as well, whether it's your ability as a medical professional, whether it's your ability to physically protect with your hands, with a weapon, whatever it is. 
And again, I think there's that misunderstanding that if you're a if you're a, a fighter or a soldier or whatever, then you walk around, you know, as you said, growing a beard, posturing, you know, with all your little weapon stickers on the back of your, your lifted truck. But the reality is to have that ownership of your own mind, to have your emotions, not even under control, that's the wrong way of putting it, but to, to, to be calm, not only is that good for the flow state and actual performance, but also now your focus comes back to doing good in the world instead of that angry maelstrom mind that you're left with when more often than not you transition out the military, fire, police, or whatever profession you were in. Yeah, like I, I here's an example. Like, and this is a real prevalent example to me. I would, I would get home from work, but, but in a truck. My, I drive home my truck from work for years, and I go about my day, and it never failed. I'd get into the I, man. I'd get into the shower. There's something about that the shower that makes my mind like think in a way, and I would somehow attach myself to something that happened that day, like. Someone cut me off or I perceived that they did or I got in an argument with someone or someone pissed me off and I said something, but I I didn't feel like I had run that conversation fresh. I didn't quite tell that person exactly. If I could do it again, I'd tell them exactly what I – and I would run that scenario in my head throughout – and I'd come out of that shower so fucking angry, right? And I and, and I, I was doing that so you know fast. You know, This was a couple years ago. Now let's go back like two and a half, three years ago where I started recognizing like, whoa, like that dialogue is really fucking nasty. Like, wow, like why, who gives a shit? Like, did I really want to, something that cut me off in a perfect world, I'd get him pulled off on the side of the road and beat the hell out of him and be like, yeah, I'm vindicated. Like, like why am I feeling like I need to actually think down that road to come to an emotional conclusion of, yeah, I'm vindicated and be like, I would do that all the time and i'd think this dialogue i'd I'd fantasize i'd daydream about things i wish i could have done better or different damn i spent a lot of time in my head thinking about shit that does not exist or matter my past in no way shape or form exists it's not real it's gone time is gone we're way fucking past it or things in the future that I'm really, oh my God, I got this thing that's two weeks away. Two weeks, I'm thinking about possibilities in two weeks ahead of time that likely will never work, be the way that I planned them or thought them out. It's like, why am I spending so much time in a world that also doesn't exist, which is my future, which is causing me a ton of anxiety for something that doesn't exist until it's the now. And so... Being able for someone that can't sit for two minutes, imagine being knowing that for the next 10, there is no one that's going to call you. Like there is the world has come to a complete stop. The world no longer needs you for the next 10 minutes. And the best thing you can do is just be there and do nothing. And actually the nothing includes don't worry about having to do nothing. And then when you actually give yourself space to be, what ends up happening is most people solve so many damn problems because now you've got space for creativity. You actually have created space for problem solving. You actually now have a space in which you can put your emotions and go, well, this isn't what I'm feeling right now, but this is something I have to deal with. Why am I worried about this? 
because I'm given right, right now it's not an issue because I've given myself the space and time. Why is this an issue? You can actually unpack some of this shit and you don't, you don't have to go back to it and revisit it over and over to feel vindicated or better or anything. You can just be. And this has taken me a couple years to kind of unpack some of these ideas. And then what ends up happening, which is even more powerful for you all that are listening, is then you're going to run into people like the way that James and I can, can reminisce is we can have these deeper, deeper conversations and that further actually roots our actual who we are into this body. Like I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind, compassionate person. I know that I love people and animals. I love the earth and the environment. I love to garden. I love things. And I'm able to do that now because I don't have this crazy internal dialogue and I can bounce this stuff off James. And he's like, man, I'm feeling the same thing. Now neither one of us feels so alone, right? And that's the big thing is, man, like we, we as a population, as a world, as a country, we can handle all of this nonsense if we're together, right? All the stuff. Our firefighters are so good because they do it together. Our police officers do it together because they do it as a group, as a unit, as a team. Our SEAL teams are so good because they do it as a team. We need to pot, we need to people together. <laughs> we need to get this country together and you go, damn, there are, we have so much in common. Why are we bickering over this one damn thing that we're actually not even disagreeing about? We've just decided to identify with some sort of social structure that my grandparents called themselves Democrats or Republicans 60 years ago. And now my parents were, and now I'm supposed to be like, it's silly, silliness. So that's, that's what meditation has given me. It's given me some space to just, focus on the people and the things that matter absolutely i i'd use an analogy when i kind of had my aha moment a few weeks after um, and i remember wayne dyer you ever listened to wayne dyer back in the day he was uh he was i mean just like you talked about with buddha reading the other books wayne dyer was like a, a white deepak chopra and okay it's kind of back in the um hay house highlight you know where um but this dude was just spiritual and he took from all the you know, the books of wisdom, whether they were in actual religious doctrine, whether they were just wise people, whether it was ancient Greeks or Romans. Um, but I remember he said, you know, you normally have a, th a hundred thoughts every day. The problem is you have the same thoughts 10,000 times. And it's spot on. So the way I kind of thought about it after I had this kind of this journey was the, the bingo balls. You know, they turn on the fan and the damn balls are bouncing everywhere. Meditation turned off the fan. The balls are still there. Yes, you still have to go to work and you still have to, you know, this and, oh, let's pull this one out. Yeah, that guy was an asshole that cut me out, cut me off on the road, but we'll just put that over there. But it just, it put everything down. And it was amazing because as you said, now you have the clarity. And even in meditation, that kind of prioritization was shifting and be like, oh, okay, while I'm meditating, that's the first thing I need to get done. Anyway, moving on and then back to clarity. So it was just taking those same thoughts that bounce over and over again and just getting them to settle the fuck down and, and, and organize. And so that way you're able to, like you said, have the space to truly address the most important thing and then work your way through. Yeah. Cause like in the same, let's, let's use the physical and that same idea. It's like the best way to improve your gait in running is to make sure your gait in walking is efficient because we get so many steps 
It's like the reality is the truth is this is exactly what you're saying is that the reoccurrence of thoughts in the subconscious are still imprints of conditioning, right? If, yeah, you're you, if, if you're an autopilot because this is me. I jump in my car in 2007, my truck in 2007, and for two years, the first thing I did was turn on talk radio, right? And that conditioned my response, and that conditioned response conditioned my thought process, and that thought process reinforced my identity of who I thought I was: this Navy SEAL, Republican, or Libertarian, something or other. You know what I mean? Always wore black T-shirts and had a beard. Like it, it conditioned that that phony person, a total fraud. But given the context of where my life was, I needed I needed to let my ego create this idiot, right? My identity. So and that's okay. So that's the thing is like people, you know, it took me a little while to the, like the one of the things I like unpacking now that took me a while in the context of this is that. I had to, my, my belief systems got shaken a little bit and that started to make me kind of devalue. For example, my, I was raised Catholic. My mom raised me what I consider very appropriately in a Catholic. Well, not a lot of doom and gloom, but a lot of love and compassion. Um, so that was my experience in Catholicism, but it's the Catholicism that conditioned me to really go like, I'm still really used to like praying to God in the sense of Jesus's dad or whatever you want to call it. Right. And I was like, man, I was like, well, damn it. Fucking Catholic church lied to me. Them sons of bitches. And I'm, <laughs> now, I'm like, now I'm like, wait, no, no, it's that. It wasn't it at all. Like I always tell people like, there's no such thing as a bad program. There's just poor execution of it. So whether or not your path to mystical, whatever is Christ, or Islam or Buddhism or whatever it is, it's all good. It's all going to lead you to that positivity, right? And so that's been the reframing as a big picture. That, that was like kind of the religious side, but like in a big picture, it's like the old dog's new tricks thing is a bunch of crap. You can, man, the best people that learn tricks are the old dogs because you have all these life experiences to compare your thoughts and like, wait a minute, like if I believe this, does it make me believe this less? No, it doesn't. It just gives me a much better mosaic. Right? I, I want to experience as much as I can in this world, open-minded as possible. I think that's the best way for us to experience this beautiful planet, is to take on as many open-minded experiences as you can. And then if you come across something that goes like, not necessarily contradicts your belief system, but goes, I'm not really quite sure where to fit that in, but somebody else believes it. So, well, it doesn't affect me. Why do I get a, give a shit? Like, like why would a person ever care what religion they are, what their skin color is, what their sexual orientation is? Because it's like, none of that affects me <laughs> really. So I, that's, that's been the big unpacking of this is like, I still really value my Catholic upbringing because I very much believe in so much of what those truths are. I still am very in love with that idea, but I love a lot of other things too. And it doesn't make me love Christ any less. I think he's fucking amazing. I think he certainly is a son of God in his way. In what way? I don't know. 
I haven't met the guy. <laughs> I don't know. So like, I, I just look at it and go, man, what a really boring place if everyone just followed in line and was like a clone of me. How fucking boring would this place if there was a whole bunch of me running around? Terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, it comes down to humility as well. And with that old dog, new tricks, by far some of the most amazing human beings, whether they're coaches or firefighters, whoever it is, I'm almost embarrassed because they're asking me, guy who's not very well experienced in coaching, only had 14 years as a firefighter. And I'm like, my God, why are they asking me? They're the expert. And then I realized that's why they're the expert because they have the humility to continue to learn. And I think as you were saying, even with we were talking about the pandemic, what we were told 18 months ago was different a year ago, was different six months ago. And the information was evolving or devolving, no matter how you look at it. And yep. it's about humility of saying, like, for example, when I took the vaccine, I was about to travel. I knew it was definitely going to open the door to go home and see my grandmother who just turned 104 a few days ago. Saw um, that. Yeah, it was amazing. But that, you know, and I was like, as you said, I was like, well, this will give me immunity. I can't get COVID for love nor money. So, um, you know, I will, I will do this because I'm not as you anti-vax, yeah. but then things change. And then sadly, it wasn't as efficacy, you know, efficate. Is that the right word or effective? Um, as previously thought or told. And, you know, that's a shame too. So my stance now has even changed on that particular kind of route. Again, doesn't make me super anti, but definitely takes, you know, has taken away some of the kind of buy-in, but it's humility. And, you know, and gratitude, I think, is the other thing. You know, I look around and see these inflamed um, emotions at the moment. And it's like, have you forgotten that we live in one of the most amazing countries? And not because beating your chest America is great. No, just look, I mean, literally the actual landscape of this amazing country. And I, I live in Florida with the sun shining every day and there's beautiful oceans, you know, an hour or so away. This is an amazing life. And if we don't have humility and we don't have gratitude, then we end up these kind of hyper-inflamed beings just walking oh, yeah. around waiting to be poked yeah. once and lose our fucking minds. I, and this is kind of like maybe this is my sort of like <laughs> big picture point of all to, to piggyback that. It's like, listen, like here, here's, my, here's my perspective of my opinion is like let's use – space travel and colonizing Mars is like the talk. Okay. Let's, 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 let's say for just a moment that that's even plausible. That number one, we even have the resources, which we don't. Secondly, here in the next seven to 15 or 20 years, there's going to be so much space trash. We're not going to be able to go in the atmosphere anyway. Right. So like I'm, I'm rationally dissecting the way I see things. And then I go, okay, we have, if you've seen the documentary Hubble, it's amazing. No, I haven't. It's it's on iTunes. It, it 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 has basically commentary to the more recent photos and videos that have come back from Hubble. It's out past Mars right now, and it's still getting video. Right, stuff that from a number. I'm good with numbers. I'm good with stuff like I'm good with working through light speed stuff and whatnot. And I did it through physics and. They start using numbers in that documentary that is so large that I can't even begin to understand, like, you know, talking billions of light years away, which is unfathomable and true in truth. It's just something that travels light speed for over a billion years, and it's still a couple billion years away from getting to it at light speed. It's absurd, right? So 
I'm saying this grand, like granted, we haven't physically been to these places, but we've been gifted with enough amazement and beauty and imagination and visual amazement that we can see things that quite literally, let's be, unless God, the creator himself shows up here and it gives us the ability to just travel we're not going to build a space shuttle of any sort made of material on this planet that's going to fly us across our universe. Let me just, that's, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But the way I see it, the way that this world is trending, we ain't getting off this planet. Okay. So on that context, we can see that far away in every single direction from our planet. Do you know what's in the center of everything that we're looking at? Us. We are living on a planet that makes people, right? Yeah, it makes trees, that makes apples, it does all these things. It makes fucking people, folks. People are created and made in whatever context you think there is or isn't a God. I don't care. It's not my job to convince you. But I think it's pretty remarkable that we're on a planet that just keeps making people and animals, and plants, and air we can breathe, and an atmosphere, and all these things, but yet we think that we're just going to trash this place, which we are, and then just jump, get off of it here in 25 years? It's funny how we have someone that we put it omnipotent like Elon Musk, and he, granted, he's, he's done some cool shit, but he'll be the first one probably if you get him behind closed doors and go, hey, what are, what are the chances that we're going to get off this rock and populate Mars? There's no way there's out. We don't, we don't have the resources to really even get to the moon. We do. But beyond that, what are we going to do? Like just, just on time alone, we take one person to Mars and back. That's going to take pretty much my entire generation's lifetime. And then we're going to go there potentially. Right. And we're going to build a civilization. And then the whole time, the planet is not going to degrade in its quality, right? We're not going to continue to pollute and destroy the planet and use resources. Like, it's so absurd. And so this is my point. is like the absurdity of us just disregarding the fact of the amazement of this planet. Like, it is perfect. It is beautiful in every single way. And we as humans can either choose to perpetuate its amazing features and abilities, or we can continue to waste them. And that's that's my, I look at it and go, well, I, at least while I choose to live on this planet, I'm going to try to do my best to not hurt other people, not hurt this planet, and be a realist and go, well, why don't we love this planet that makes people? Why don't we love the people on this planet that makes people? Because we ain't getting off of it, folks. This is what we got. So I say we, we, we probably should fall in love with this planet because pretty soon it's going to start rejecting us. Absolutely. Well, and it's, that was one of the most heartbreaking things as well. I, probably right around the last time we spoke was when all the cars were off the road. Oh, yeah. my God. It was beautiful. The canals in Venice. And I used to live in Burbank, California, north of, you know, north of L.A., and yeah. you see the the footage. I have seen, I've been on, you know, the 101 and you can't even see the mountain, which you know damn well is only 30 meters to the left of you. 
And, you know, what a beautiful message. And then that was completely disregarded. And, you know, if we're now withdrawn at the moment from Iraq and Afghanistan and, you know, why not take the funds that we were giving to all these, you know, these kind of war machines and take that money and put it into cleaning everything up and replanting I, I, some of the... It out because the federal government already paid them, paid the like, like KBR won the contract a couple of years ago, two years ago. They paid it in full. And they, even when they pulled them out, so governor, it's, that's the, that's the whole corruption side of it. And you're like, well, shit, man. Like, that, you're right, man. Like, I look at the EPA and I look at these and go, what the fuck are you doing? Like, these organizations that are set up to help aren't even doing it, right? And so, like, I can get and that's where I can get all really pretty pretty obnoxious. But it's like, okay, I'm not going to go do anything to the EPA. The EPA is already failing, right? What can I do? Well, the best thing I can do is be a good person, keep my stuff clean, you know, and and, and eventually, here's the deal, man. At some point, liars all get exposed. And sometimes those liars, you know, they're big liars. And those big liars have set up industry. And some of these big liars have set up countries, right? Countries, organizations that get so big and lie, what do they do? They all fall. They all fall and all fail. The only thing that keeps going on this per- in this planet consistently is in that sense of building that never dies and never fails is building of that culture of people, like good people building good community. That will always be good. Always be, be good. And, and that's all I choose to try to focus on is work at work within a community that I know I can help. The world's going to have to take care of itself. Other smarter people that have initiatives way more capable than me of cleaning up the ocean. I'll be the first one out there helping clean up. I can't wrap my head around that solution. So it's not like I'm going to, Oh, someone else will fix a problem. I recognize it. I have problems within that. I feel like I can affect I'm just going to try and affect those. Absolutely. Well, I just want to touch on one area and then just quickly get to some supplement stuff before we let you go, if, if you still have time. Sure. Um, on Veterans Day, we are paying respects to Chad Wilkinson. I had Chad's um, widow, Sarah, on. I know Chad was a fellow SEAL Team 6 guy. Um, and you know, that's another area that I don't hear discussed very well is the impact of TBI on on um, your mental health. Now, again, you know, you were tip of the spear yourself as well. Um, not loading the question at all, but have, have you with your, you know, physiology background and your tactical background paralleling, um, what has been your perspective on that impact in the tactical population and the mental health element? Yeah, I think that TBIs are certainly a, a catalyst. Um, and I can only speak to myself. I've had, I had 22 plus concussions. Uh, so I would definitely fell in that category of a severe TBI. Um, I had a lot of short-term memory issues. There's a lot of times I'd get in my car or truck, excuse me, and I don't even know, like I'd drive out, like, where was I going? I happened a lot, stuff like that. Just go in the, you know, being downstairs and going down upstairs and going like, I don't even know why I came up. That happened all the time. Um, I had a lot of anger and emotion issues, all this sort of thing, this, that, and the other. Do I think that TBI exacerbates issues yes do i think that tbis are the are the reason no i think that the tbi 
exacerbates a lot of issues that already persist. They make it so badly, they make it so, the damage to the brain from the TBIs makes it nearly impossible to manage some of those behaviors. I think that makes it extremely hard. And then you throw in, truthfully, you throw in alcohol, you throw in any sort of drug, um, pharmaceutical drug, and then you even throw in other sort of things like cannabis and psychedelics and things that may not necessarily be ready for that because my thing is this, I, and, and this is nothing, I, I didn't listen to the episode with Chad, I knew Chad, I know a lot of guys that have had TBIs, I know a number of guys that have killed themselves, I've tried, you know, I get it, like I see it. But I think it's like anything else, man. Like I think with it, we were so quick to try to label it as a single thing. Do I now? I think that TBIs need to be mechanically addressed. Yes, and they can be. We can heal the brain. It can be healed. I am walking proof of it. You can. I've had CT scans. I've had a couple of them in the last year. There's absolutely no trace. Zero and brain mapping. I've done brain mapping with very high end genesis epigenesis. And there was absolutely no residual brain issues that I have anymore after all the trauma I've had. And then from CAT scan to CAT scan, from the assessment, it's like, are you sure that you had these issues in the past? Because there's absolutely no residual effects anymore. The brain can be healed, folks, and I'm walking proof of it. So the TBI needs to be addressed for healing, right? And while the TBI is being addressed for healing, we need to address the emotional side so the TBIs don't create an impossible hill to climb. Because, man, like, it's hard to explain this if you've never done it, and I'm not trying to, like, I've taken a fair number of lives, done that in my job. Never really had to face that. Never really thought too much about it. Like, I didn't, while I was doing the jobs, like I never really thought like that was something that was going to creep up on my, my psyche. But it did. It did a lot, like after the fact. And, and our military, this isn't, it, I love the military and I love our law enforcement. But our military is not equipped for this. It's not, there are no military organizations, not even NICO. NICO has every bell and whistle in the world, but the problem is their active duty. You can't, they're not, they don't, the active duty, because I've been through all that shit. That once you go through that assessment, you've got the world's greatest assessment, but no way to go forward on it. Like I, like I know I'm all fucked up. Like I get my assessment from NICO. There's a National Intrepid Center for Excellence in Bethesda. Like it's the big everything to catch all PTSD, TBI, everything center. It's got it all. It's got the greatest doctors there. But, but once they go through the assessment, they come back home. There's no way to go through this checklist of fixing these things. You're thrown right back in the fire with the knowing that you're conclusively fucked up. You know, it's like I think I'm fucked up. I'm, I'm being metaphor. I'm, I'm not trying to be judgy here, but I'm, so forgive the short-term vernacular. Like I know I was going there with with some issues from my concussions and stuff, but I didn't know what they were. And then I got the really long printout. It's like. Here's all your issues. I'm like, I knew it. And then I go, hey, what are we going to do about the, all these issues? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? Uh, but I have to got all these issues now. Yeah, good job. It's like, well, how are we going to fix these issues? So my, here's the thing. 
I will take this debate against anyone in uniform right now in the United States or it's in, it's in any sort of capacity of supporting the U.S. Somebody show me a program within our military that is being widely used to help brain damage from PTSD or TBIs, not PTSD from TBIs. There isn't. No one's, there might be available potentials, but there are organizations across the world that are fixing people's brains. None of those organizations are working within or for the military. That's a, that's a weird thing. When the military is saying they can do all these sort of things, but they're not. Right? And that's, so that's why the, all this comes around. It's like, well, if we can inform people ahead of time what they're – like here's the deal. If you go to the SEAL teams, you're going to get multiple concussions. You're going to if you did anything. Right? Is the military going to help you? No, they're not. They're not. It, and it's not like – it's a, a thumb up of the military. The military doesn't have anyone internally to help them do it. Who's staffing it? What organization is doing it? The military is not going to do it for you. Neither is the VA. So what do we do? Well, we first have to recognize that that's true. And, or someone prove me wrong. Somebody. If someone hears this and is like, nope, this organization is doing it at this, air, this military base, great then why isn't the rest of the military following those protocols? Because that's DOD. So I don't want to hear anyone tell me, because I've been around these circles. I know who's in charge of, of war comments in JSOC. The blind leading the blind, man. Like We just peep, keep putting people in position of decision and power that have absolutely no experience in doing it. Right? We have people that are in charge of improving mental states for our military. Well, who's, who's running it? Some commander, some lieutenant commander, some admiral that has no experience in it. And he's going to populate it with a bunch of his friends and t team guys below him. Like, come on, man. Like, we're way better than that. And we can't just keep brushing this shit under the rug. Right? And that's why we started this project. Because it's like, we can get to people's core belief system before they do. Right? And we can do it in training. We can show them that they're doing it right. We can, we can perpetuate what they're doing as righteous and, and good. So go do it, right? We, the military is nothing more than a job. You're going to acquire some skills and some skills you won't. And we got to stop advertising that like, you know, like I bought a couple of weeks ago, if you go to the U.S. Navy website, it talks about how they have dietitians that are getting with their mess cooks and formulating best meals for all their military. It is absolute lies. I saw your pictures posted of some of the naval meals. <laughs> the, the fact that the Department of the Navy can make that statement, it, it's just lies. we got to stop that, man. They deserve better. Anyone that's going to go serve their country, at the very least, deserves a little bit of honesty. So I, that's where I look at it and go, well, I know they're not getting dietetic guidance. I've been through it. Right. I've sat in Bethesda in front of all the dietitians and the head dietitian says, she goes, the Navy, like, what is the Navy doing here? Like, you guys don't have a ground force. That's what she said. No, we do because we have all the national missions that we're doing. We're doing most of the work, not the Navy. Why is the Navy? Like, who are you and why is the Navy here? Kind of like, oh, that's what I dealt with, you know, and those are the people that are in charge of our militaries diet right and they're in exercises the people that are in charge of the like 
the big army, big navy, big marine corps, like the biggest, like up there, the upper echelon of who's deciding what PTs they should be doing. They have no business making those decisions because none of them, none of them can pass it. Even the ones that they establish or they, they get rid of the physical screening altogether. Of course. Why would you do that? Why, why would you need a physical standard when people need to protect and save lives? Eh, I don't get it. So who am I? Again, that's why I'm not in the military anymore. Because <laughs> this is the stuff I couldn't change when I was in there. These are the same arguments I was having then. Yeah. So. The same yeah. with the fire service. I mean, you know, again, you know, the, the number of departments I've seen resist literally annual fitness standards for people who have to carry human beings up and down ladders, stairs, you name it. And, and it's resisted by unions, by administrations for the reason that you said, because, yeah. Oh God, if I put this in place, I'm going to be held to the standard versus this is going to benefit the people we serve. And this is going to keep our men and women healthy so they can retire with a, with a healthy retirement and enjoy their life post service. Yeah. The most basic stuff, like the like the supplements, right? Like I get it. Like their military is interesting, and like law enforcement, fire is the same thing. It's like they're gonna like disallow the consumption of like a, a very safe, simple, straightforward whey protein because you're gonna have some dietitian that has no credibility. And some years ago, like, well, too much protein is bad for your liver. It's so disproven and so obnoxiously wrong in every sense of the way. It's like, but that's what we're dealing with. You're like, well, if somebody's going to screw it up for everyone. It's like, yes, yeah, so you punish that person. Exactly. That, that's where I've never understood some of that mentality of like, you know, whether it's anabolics or even marijuana in the sense of like extreme stuff. It's like, I don't want my pilots or my seals smoking marijuana before they go on target. So it's like, my point is, is that organization is going to go, okay, because we need you sober, you're going to have to take an extra step and, and, and promise that you're not going to take it. That's essentially what LA does, LA police department, right? Like we know it's legal here, but if you take it, it's going to impair you and you're going to be held accountable if you do. Awesome. Take that big boy, right? Challenge. But then we go on the other side and go, you know, we're just going to keep blaming people for stuff that never even happens. And then we can't get to the root cause, you know, because then you just blanket staping everything. Like supplements are bad, steroids are bad. Like, okay, I disagree with that, you know, empirically. But I do think that there's a there's there's a rational reason why we don't want them to abuse it. But to remove the point of of education that's not swayed, so people can make their own decision, and that's where we're at right now. Well, CBD like, is a perfect example. Like my population is terrified. And even the one I take is zero THC. But there it's fine to be prescribed all these meds and these opiates and things. But, oh, you better not piss hot from CBD. Like you physically cannot piss hot from zero THC CBD. They're not not testing. They're not testing for CBD. And that's that's the this is not the droid you're looking for nonsense. I don't get it, you know. And, And that's, again, that's like that's why we use Thorn and Bubs because we need to be able to advertise people for this for a reason. It's like we have built trust with people for good reason, consistency. And we have offered these supplements in safe ways for a long time now, years. And in every single case, it's been safe. It's been effective, right? And so that's what we look at it and go, well, let's at least educate you on supplements before they tell you you can't have them. 
So then when it's time for you to have them, you can then make educated decisions because there's a period of time you got to play the game. You're going through the academy, you're going through buds, you're going through whatever. You still, hey, everyone play the game. You can do that. You all can stay healthy enough to play that game. But when you get out, now you're educated on what you can and can't take, what's true and what's not true, how to read a label, like what what differentiates this product from that product, you know? And that's that's been there, you know, whether it's meditation, it's supplementation, it's sleep, it's good training, it's all those sort of things have got to come as a package deal, and they all got to be trustworthy, you know. And that's we feel like we've surrounded ourselves with with good supplements, good training, good equipment, right? Good good broadcasters of all of that, right? Like let's surround ourselves with people that are just trying to share the truth. And that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Well, you are the one that exposed me to both Thorn and Bubs. So, you know, I want to talk to you about Thorn in a second, but I do have Sean Lake coming on, who's the, the man behind Bubs. And obviously there's a Navy SEAL connection with that product. But again, I listened to you. I added it to my regimen. As we said before we started recording, I am like a surgeon when it comes to my meat and I cut every little sinew and piece of fat off. So the collagen obviously is, is a, you know, it makes sense. I'm not chewing on bones like, you know, my ancestors probably were. So talk to me about bubs and then we'll transition to, to things in Thorne's repertoire that you love now. So it kind of comes around as like a kind of a, I changed my mind and I'm not, and I'm not an asshole. Like I, I've evolved kind of thing. So there was a period of time where I was just like collagen, like there's, there's absolutely no benefit to muscle, blah, 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 this and the other. So about three and a half years ago or so, three years ago, I was at the Olympic training center at a conference and, and my knee was real stiff. I had a lot of anterior and patella issues for quite a while. I couldn't quite get through it. And I was in a, having a conversation with the head strength coach for Norway's speed skating team. Brilliant guy. I was just like, I was talking to him and he's like, you should do this. You should do that. You should be drinking this. I'm like, wait a minute. So we got a conversation about collagen and isometrics. And I right away, he, I was like, well, what, like, what should I look for? This, that, and the other. And we had a conversation about that. And I shopped around a little bit and there was two, two companies. There was Vital and then there was Bubs. And I just was able to compare them and go, well, shit, this is an easy decision. Uh, the amino acid spectrum is much, much higher in the bubs. And I was like, well, that's either been fortified or it's because of the health of the animal. It's going to be only one, too. And I was looking through it. It didn't have to specify it was fortified. So I was like, well, that's awesome. So we sent an email. Um, I actually did an Instagram post. It's like this versus this. I'll get back to you in like 30 days, whatever. Bubs commented on Sean commented or something. At that time, I hadn't met Sean. And about three months had passed, and I basically took the vital for – it's duration to completion. I took the bubs duration completion. And I legitimately, after having that, that conversation then with the speed skate coach, head strength coach, um, I was, my, my knee pain went away almost instantly within the first couple of days. And I was like, okay, I'm a pretty smart dude, but this guy like totally, totally schooled me. Like I was like, man, I was, I'm thankful I was open enough, open-minded enough to listen to him. So I started taking collagen, started doing these things, and like, man, like I have had a history of arthritis and all sorts of stuff just from wear and tear. Man, I, it pretty much all went away. And I started realizing like there was a difference, like the vital tasted fine, this, that, and the other. But then, man, when I started taking the bubs, my fingernails, 
and my hair and everything started growing crazy. And I was like, and I already, already got like lots of hair and no, no issues with growing thick nails. But that was one of the first things. And then it just started compounding. Like other people that I really looked up to or started using bubs, like Ben Pakulski and guys like that. And I was like, well, shit, like, Derek Woodski and a few other people where I was like, man, there's got to be something to this because people I really, really trust are, are recommending it. So now fast forward a couple of years, um, we've gotten a relationship at the business with Sean and then guys at Bubs, and we've had this same conversation because all the guys that come through training, Bubs takes care of their supplements, so does Thorn. And so they, for a period of six weeks, get fully immersed into it. And they're like, I've never felt so good. And now you have all these other sort of contrasts of people like, well, I never used it before. Now I won't think of not using it. And so that's like the, with collagen being, especially for tendon and ligament health, cartilage health, with the load bearing that our tactical population has to endure, um, with the impact, the trauma, man, like a must have, in my opinion, if you're a tactical athlete is collagen. Like it's just now, it'll be a staple for It'll be it'll be a staple forever, or unless something else potentially comes out that's better. But something as natural as bovine collagen is is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, well, my personal experience was the same. Like hair and nails, skin. I mean, I've got like crusty skin, um, so that that improved. But also, I've had meniscus snipped on both knees, so my knees are by far my weakest link at the moment. So you know that was another element. Just you know, giving as you said, all the connective tissue as much opportunity to grow and heal as possible. I mean, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, everything that like glucosamine and chondroitin advertised that it will do, Bub's collagen has done it and better. So that, that was like, I remember as a kid always taking glucosamine and chondroitin for all these reasons for joint health because I was a catcher and all these things. And like I never really remember, and I took a lot of it. Like I've never been adverse of taking supplements, you know. So I've taken my fair share of glucosamine for years without any perceived benefit. Now it could have certainly continued to maintain health of my cartilage and whatnot, but nothing where it was like in a, in a very short period of time, in a couple days, I noticed that there was something happening um, physically and objectively happening uh, as far as improvement with their with Bub's collagen. Beautiful. Well, I think the other thing that shows humility is, you know, as you're talking about, you're two different companies that are working side by side, not getting all butthurt that, you know, one is, yeah. one is present or the other. So what about Thorns products? What are you loving at the moment with them? Yeah, that, that's something, man. That's like, that's the Pandora box of awesome, I think. Like, I, there, there is nothing that they make that I wouldn't recommend given what you need to take. Um, you know, I, when you, when you actually look at, if you go to, you can go to the website or don't Google, like, who's done the research for Thorn, right? When you're talking about the who's who of the industry of, of university, from Johns Hopkins to Harvard, the Mayo Clinic, whatever, like, you name it, any like Duke, all these incredibly reputable universities and research side have done all their research research on it. So I go, okay, that's cool. And then you go, I go, who's taking it? Well, the most exclusive it is of, of, of pro sport is taking it between the UFC, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. The list goes on and on. And you're like, well, they all trust it. And then you go, well, the U.S. Olympic Training Center has only ever endorsed one brand in the history of the Olympics, U.S. Olympics, and it's Thorn. And it didn't just happen, right? It's just kind of like, wait a minute. If, if all the athletes that I look up to 
on the Olympic side in the U.S., the pro side in the U.S., and then you throw in JSOC and SOCOM, and that's what their dietitians recommend, recommend is Thorn. You go, well, why would I use any other supplement? And that's the thing is like I go, okay, listen, like I get it. There's other brands out there that make this or that, and um, you know, there's there's competitors, and you know, you know, you want competitors to make each other better. And I go, okay, cool. I I, I recognize that. If I go to nsfforsport.com or .org, I see all the actual air quotes clean products that are advertised out there. But then I go, well, still the sickest human beings in the United States from both genders all sorts of illness are all at the, essentially the Mayo Clinic or extensions of those research hospitals. What supplements, because a lot of those kids and adults can't handle any food at all because their immune system is so compromised. The sickest, most immune compromised human beings on the planet are taking thorn. So when I'm run down and tired from a very hard workout or a deployment, when my body's really run down, why wouldn't I want to take the supplements that really are given to the sickest humans on the planet. And it's not because Thorne is paying the Mayo Clinic to do it. And I look at that and go, great, man, we can have your competitor, your, your friend's supplement company. Like one of my best friends has a supplement company. But you know what they're not? Thorne. And it's like I don't need to let him go through all the trials and error of making products and making them better and making them better, which he is year after year after year. It's going to take him 15 years to make the quality of products that Thorne's already making. With respect to his supplements, they're good, but they're never going to be Thorne. And that's and that's that's where I look at it and go, Thorne isn't paying me to say this because I'm only interested in what's best for our athletes. I'm only interested in their well-being. If I'm giving health supplements that are supposed to help their health, let's get the cleanest, most efficacious like ethical products we can get. Let's go with that first, you know? And so I don't really have much of an argument other than going, well, until someone dethrones the best supplement company in the world, I'm going to keep taking the best supplement company in the world in form. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I was introduced to them through you. You know, I had Wes and, and Joel and, you know, some of the other Thorne family on here, uh, Will. And, uh, you know, to really explain it, you know, you have these elite Olympians that, you know, nutritionists and all these people. And then you find out, as you said, UFC, CrossFit, every other, you know, like king of or queen of their sport is using Thorn. Thorn didn't approach me to be a sponsor. I approached them. I approached, you know, 511. I approached BeaverFit. I, I know that the clothing, the supplements, the equipment that my profession should be using and I'm fighting tooth and nail to get them. It's not, it's not, not easy, you know, to convince them to come on the show. But I know that our audience, you know, your profession, my profession are going to spend money on a supplement. So to me, it's like, well, let me show you why this is the one you should have. I know your, your, you know, bright orange eight packed dude on Instagram is telling you to take this protein powder, but take that same 60 bucks and apply it here especially as we come out of this pandemic here's how you can actually positive affect you know your your micronutrients and some of these other areas maybe forget about protein and creatine maybe focus on things that are going to clear your mind a little bit or help you sleep in the evening and then worry about performance side yep. yeah i've been you know i've been in a dozen or more a couple dozen upper echelon pro locker room type situations across different sports and UFC, WWE, all those. 
And the one company that's in every single one of those I've been in, every single one I've been in has had Thorn. So it's like, even in the university side, there's Thorn. And I'm like, wait, like, that's like, there's your sign. Like, how do I know? Right. And, and it's like, it's not me. It's not impersonal. It's like people are really personal about the stuff they take for whatever reason. But it is that admission of like, well, if I, if I take, if I change my supplement, then I'm a liar. It's like, no, you're a smart person. Use the supplements that are best for your health. If that's your goal flavor, if you don't give a shit what it does to your body, you want the best flavor, then go find it somewhere else. That's fine. But as far as I understand, the people that we train want to heal as fast as possible so they can train really hard. So let's take the supplements that are likely going to be able to do that for you as heal as fast as possible. Take Thorn. <laughs> Thorn and Bubs, there you go. Absolutely. Well, like, like I said, Jeff, thank you so much. Firstly, you the one introduced to me and even like the time you took explaining the efficacy, the cleanliness, all those things, which is so important to, to my profession. They can't afford to piss hot because they took some gas station, you know, performance drug. Yeah. But, um, that's, that's the thing too, is like, let's say like a serving of protein and like, hey, man, this is a little more expensive, right? Cut your serving back, right? Because now you're absorbing a higher quality sense of protein. You actually need less. And so people are like, oh, it's a cost thing. It's like, well, you know what's really expensive too? Blood pressure medication, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all those are expensive. Maybe they're not. I don't know. My insurance sucks. So I'm too healthy. My insurance, we're just pretty much going to drop insurance this year because it's just a waste of money. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Every year I go to fill in paperwork. They're like, who's your physician? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have one. <laughs> Am I yeah. supposed to? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Like I'm... Yes, there'll be a point in time. Certainly, I need a doctor, but not right now. And that's not because I'm like dodging bullets. I am going out of I. I we spend like Catherine's so amazing. She's the most consistent person I've ever met when it comes to supplementation and diet. And like, I've got like the blood work of like a 28 year old. It's crazy. Like, and that's really because of the consistency. It's not over the top. Right. It's just being mine because like, man, I love to splurge on certain things like your next person, but I like feeling good. I, 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 don't, I don't like having brain fog. And I, I like the idea that, you know what, probably in my 60s, if I wanted to go fucking climb some mountain, I'll probably be healthy enough to do it. Not like Everest, but, you know, what I'm talking about like, hey, I'm going to go do a four hour hike out in some some mountain. I'm sure I'll be able to do it in my 60s. That's my goal. Like, I don't want to be popping pills like everyone after the age of 40 in the United States, reliant on that. Oh, like that's, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, damn, I'm just thankful that I pulled my head out of my ass a couple years ago. Like the fact that I get to go through this life with this awareness, like, man, like, I don't know what I deserve to be this awake, this aware of it, but man, I'm, I'm thankful. I, I couldn't be more, be more, more happy of of the suffering that I've had and led me to this point, man, geez, I'm, I couldn't be more thankful, truly. Beautiful. Well, one thing that I see over and over again that really seems to be healing as well is altruism. You know, people find a way to give back. And even though, you know, you've given back in a thousand different ways before, Project Lyceum definitely seems like another level. So firstly, before I forget, 
I would love to bring Catherine on. So let's make that happen as another episode. Uh, um, so, but separate from that, where can people find out Project Lyceum to maybe be, you know, a, a potential athlete? And also how can they donate if they want to support the course? Yeah, you can go to the website, projectlyceum.org. Right. Or you can obviously, if you go to my Instagram page, Jeff CSCS or Catherine's, which is Fit Soul, like Fitness Solutions 22. It's F I T S O L 22. But again, if you just kind of track down through me, you'll see a ton of stuff I've posted with her anyway, because she is my, like, I don't answer the meditation questions or really I, the products I see them stuff. I'm going to divert to her because she's really the impetus and the brainchild behind it. And I just like to support it. It's, it's like, that's the selfish side is like, she's done so much work to get this thing rock and roll. And all I got to do is like smile and tell people to like donate to it, you know, and it's, she's doing so much work to do that. So, um, yeah, well, you know, she, man, I got, I would love to, I'll, I'll definitely make the intro because she would be fantastic to kind of talk a little bit more about that. But like, the meditation and mind that mindful piece is man it's it's evolution George, james I, I really believe that that's 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 our evolution is is to get our get our heart and our mind stop arguing absolutely it's, i had a little thought a while ago you know we talk about going to mars perfect example like oh we're evolving as a species because of our technological achievements and i i disagree you look at the cruelty in some of mankind's past I think our evolution is kindness and compassion. So, and we're not going to get there without things like mindfulness, meditation, and, and, and community. Yeah, that is the, those are my words exactly. That is the human evolution. And that's, that's, I'm choosing my best way to try and be a part of that. And I'm fortunate that I get to live with someone that's been waiting for me to catch up to her for a while now. Yeah, it's a blessing for sure. Well, Jeff, I just want to say thank you. Firstly, I want to say it's awesome just seeing how happy you are. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way at all. But, you know, we have spoken on and off now for several years and you've been through your journey and, you know, it's inspiring. I mean, you know, the happiness that you've got in your relationship and your passion for what you're doing now is incredible. But also just thank you for yet again for the fourth time taking over two hours to to share your thoughts. It's been a very philosophical conversation this time, but I think equally as valuable as the previous ones. Yeah, the, you come at a good time too, because like, I just we Catherine and I just got engaged on Monday. Oh, congratulations! So I I say that like, thank you, but for you know you and I have met in person a few times, and I, I want to say this to folks, and even not for me, this is certainly not for my sake, folks that are listening. If you actually go back and listen to some of my older podcasts. You can hear the anger, like legit, like I was pretty jaded in anger, angry a lot of things. And like, I was never in a place to ever be comfortable enough with myself or around someone else to like, honestly go, Hey, I'm, I'm confident I can marry you and not ruin your life. <laughs> and so like, that's where I'm at now. I'm like, man, like shit, like I, I'm a good boyfriend. I could be a good husband finally, you know, like, and so it's, you know, it's a testament for Catherine tolerating some of my, a lot of my silliness, but man, like, that's what I mean, folks. Like if you're having a hard time, like a real hard time, the best advice I can have is offer you is like, you, you, you are worthy enough to solve this shit. Like you're worth it. Like 
you are like, and that, and that's, it was a hard thing for me to realize. And now I know I'm worth it enough that I can share my time and life with another person. And so there is somebody out there for everyone in that sense. So, you know, if you're, if you're having a rough time, look at yourself first, but good, good is within your reach for sure.